Hi, this is Glenn Wexler, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Pantheon Podcast presents from Hollywood, California, the devil's music with Pleasant Gaiman. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaiman as she brings you the devil's music. Well, howdy there, sinners. This is Pleasant Gaiman, and you're listening to the Devil's Music Podcast, a Pantheon podcast. I'm a punk rock witch from Hollywood, California, with a lifelong passion for rock and roll and the occult. It all started when I was a preteen. In the 70s, I was one of the first punks in LA, and as a teenager, I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go producing shows and made a Xerox fanzine called The Bottomy, which led to me writing for every major rock and roll publication you can think of. In the 80s and 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've toured around the globe to teach and perform belly dance and burlesque. You've probably seen me acting or dancing in music videos, feature films, and documentaries. Look for me in the new GoGo stock. To find out more about me, to purchase a book, or to make a tarot reading appointment, please go to my website, pleasantgaiman.com. I'm really excited to be part of the Pantheon Podcasts network of rock and roll shows. Everyone here tells stories about the music we love so hard, each with a different twist. Find all podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com or on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio.com, Pandora, anywhere you get your favorite podcast fix, baby. Today, my guest is Dana Gould. On the off chance that you don't know about him, he's a comedian, an actor, a voiceover artist, a writer, and we also share several unique fetishes. He's a more fun than a barrel of monkeys. He's more fun than a carnival full of clowns. He's more fun than a ventriloquist with a lap full of dummies. Please welcome Dana Gould. Hi Dana, how are you? When we did your podcast, we were we were very enthusiastically talking over each other the whole time. But um, you, I I have to know you better all the time, and I'm so glad that you're doing this because now I can stalk you in real time <laughs> <laughs> instead of the opposite when that happened when <laughs> when you were when I was on your podcast. Yeah. Um, it was one of those great things where you meet somebody and then you, and then you leave and you're like, you're like, how did I not know this person until that's, just now? <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. So um, we met backstage um, in 20, uh, 20, whatever, because I'm having pandemic break. No, in, in yeah. 2019, back when yeah. things were normal. The year um, one BC. Before, one year yes. before COVID. <laughs> oh, yeah, BC. Oh, my God, that's so scary. In the year of our Lord, the demon child. <laughs> <laughs> the merry prankster. Oh, my God. It's a, 
so we we met um, backstage at a, at a reading for More Fun in the New World, John Del and Tom de Savia's book. And um, at first, I, I think I didn't realize that you were being the MC that night. And I thought you were just like hanging out backstage, like a like a cool celebrity should. Yeah. Or like a creep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to start stalking me uh, because I had every intention of stalking you. <laughs> yeah, no, I was very, I, I, I leapt at that opportunity uh, to, to do that night. I didn't, I didn't know um, any of those people. Oh, really? So no. how did that happen? Uh, yeah, I've, I've since become really good friends uh, with DeSavia, um, but mm -hmm. I... Um, uh, I know Danny Bland, who, uh, if you know, Danny Oh, Bland. I love him. Yeah. Uh, and oh Danny my God. Bland. I have six stories about him, but, yeah, but, <laughs> but I will spare that. Go ahead. Yeah. You those are usually the, those are the only stories about him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's truly amazing. And for those of you who don't know Danny, uh, he's by and large, he's a, a, a tour manager, but he works with Dave Alvin and the blasters and he, and he, go, and he goes way back. And he wrote a book called uh, In Case We Die, which was his story of uh, being in uh, rehab for heroin. And I read a part of the audio book. He just reached out to me online, said, I'm a fan. Would you like to do this? And we met and, and became very good friends. And I'm, you know, a crazy fan of the, you know, the LA scene from that time. Uh, I was literally at Largo doing a show, a comedy show, and they were looking for someone to do, they were looking for someone to moderate that evening, the, uh, the, the author's night for more fun in the new world. Whoever was going to do it dropped out. And literally it was one of those things where Flanagan like turned his head, saw me, and said to Tom, what about, uh, do you know Dana Gould? And I don't think they knew who I was. So I said like, I'm a friend of Danny Bland's. And I think Danny said, yeah, he's okay. He'll, he'll do a good job. Um, and so that's how I met everybody. I was very, very, very nervous because I was like on stage with people that I consider heroes of mine. And uh, um, so I was trying to real, I was trying really hard to be cool. And I was very glad that it was the, the version of me uh, now and not the version of me 20 years ago when I would have made an ass of myself. <laughs> okay, so I thought you, I thought you and um, Danny and everybody already knew each other and I was the only person that didn't, but I know Danny from the 80s, from, um, from the early 80s, from before he was road managing, like in, in um, in Arizona, when my band, the Screaming Sirens, would pass pass through there, and um, we used to stay at the Dirt Quads house and at the, at do the what? At the Dirt Quads house, it was it was the name of of the band. But um, oh, okay, the Dirt Quads. Yeah, it was everyone for, uh, and everyone would go there. It was like a big punk house in Arizona, and um, one day. Um, we rolled up into, into Arizona and we always stayed there. You know, there was always like fun people coming in and out and the room that we normally slept in, we went to um, walk into it, like all, all trashed from driving somewhere yeah. in like Austin or something, you know? Right. And um, I could barely get the door open and there was a, a gigantic dinosaur that had been stolen from the top of a gas station. <laughs> oh yeah, I know those. I know those, the green brontosaurus. I know those. Yeah, so I, I was sleeping under its back legs that night. <laughs> <laughs> that, and yes. then also, um, Danny, Danny, at one point when he came to visit at Disgraceland, he brought me these three amazing clown suits his his grandma had made for him <laughs> as an offering of love <laughs> how do you get how do you get blood out of a clown suit that would be oh, <laughs> oh i i've asked myself that question several times <laughs> i like at the dry cleaners like you're at the dry cleaners and it's just like a, a a clown suit and just like in the wrapping paper sorry we could not remove this stain <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
It's just going on on the to the wrong dry cleaner. <laughs> you have to go to the one that Michael Myers goes to. <laughs> yeah. What cloud what, what dry cleaner did John Wayne Gacy use, you know, back in the day? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um Okay, so that um, aside from from that diversion, I, I want to talk to you about um, one of our favorite ladies that we both know, but you know better than I do. Because um, when I went to come and be on your podcast, a friend of mine was was saying to me very enthusiastically along the lines of dry cleaning and clown suits. This is like a <laughs> this is like a macabre manicure thing. She's like. Oh my God, if you're going to Dana's house, <laughs> you've got to ask him to show you Vampira's fingernail. <laughs> I, I heard he's got a real fingernail. Really, this was like, Who this was the send off I got first thing in the morning. <laughs> um, my friend Morgan, she's, um, she's the stage manager for my witchy burlesque show, Bill Book oh. and Candle, but somehow well, she knew I, that about you. I don't know how, maybe she saw it on Instagram. Yeah, it's partially true. I have a real fake fingernail. <laughs> I, yeah, you showed it have, to me. I think I yeah, posted. I posted yeah. it on Instagram. But I don't have one of. I don't have one of Myla's fingernails. Like I didn't pull a fingernail out of her hand. It's it's a it's a a, a beauty product. It's a. It's a oh no, it's I, a I I'm fingernail. well aware of that. Yeah, but I wanted to, for the people listening, I wanted to clarify. I don't have parts of her body in my home. <laughs> he pulled out. He pulled out her fangs. He yeah. pulled out her fingernails. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have um, Walt Disney's toe. <laughs> oh my God! You know, I have. I have. I have Spanky McFarland's baby finger, but it's from the Hollywood <laughs> Wax Museum. <laughs> Just as good. It's a, that was that was a um, that was a birthday present I got from someone who gave me a ventriloquist dummy called Willie Talk, and then oh, sure. Spanky well, McFarland. Willie Talk, sure. No, I <laughs> do. Was, I do. No, I'm sure you do. Do you have one? <laughs> I, Wait, should we get? No. I have a. Okay. I I do have the. Uh, Jimmy Nelson, How to Be a Ventriloquist LP that I Wait, had. Look at, as look a at child. this. Read what I'm showing you. Oh, the secrets of ventriloquism. <laughs> so you're you're right with me. You're I just right happened to have it sitting on my desk. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I have the I have the How to Be a Ventriloquist LP that I had as a child, <laughs> and I have I used to do a bit. It, uh, I used do to do it. I, you know, I'm going to force you to talk like a ventriloquist now. Well, the bit that I had that I uh, that I do, and I have the dummy in my garage, is a it's a ventriloquist dummy, but the head is just a an eyeball. Oh, I I think you posted a picture yeah, of that. Yeah, he looks like he's in the residence. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah, and the gag. And is how do you how do you know he's not? Like you <laughs> keep him in the garage. You don't know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> And the and the and the 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 joke of the gag was uh, or the gag of the joke was that uh, it was hypno the world's first hip, hip hypnotizing ventriloquist dummy. So I would ask him a question, then he would look at me and put the answer into my head, and I would then give the answer. So there's actually no ventriloquism at all. So it'd be like, "How do you like school, Billy?" And then I would look at the dummy, closed. <laughs> he likes it closed. <laughs> So it was pretty stupid. I had, um, I have this ventriloquist dummy um, that uh, was given to me by an old boyfriend. And he didn't even know that I liked ventriloquist dummies, but obviously we had a soul connection. Sure. He, he came, did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he came, yeah, when we were barely first dating. So he drove down from Northern California and he was holding, and I wasn't even expecting him. I opened the door and he was there. And he was holding his coat closed and he opened it up and he had a, um, <laughs> there was this really cool vintage ventriloquist dummy um, that looked like, it looked like a Jerry Mahoney one and its head was all like, like cracked, but it had like blue eyeshadow on. Um, I think his, I think this dummy's name was Willie Talk. Um, sure, that's I he, remember Willie Talk. 
I have I have it right over there. I have I, if, right I, if, there. I, if I'm not mistaken, Willie Talk was a ventriloquist dummy that you could buy over the counter, like a Sears at Sears, but he had instead of the string in the back of his neck, uh, he had the pole so you could turn his head. That was the mine, mine has a string. Yeah. Um, but but okay, so here's what happened. I, he was wearing a nice little suit that I immediately had to undress him. I don't know why. I mean, because I do have a lot of cl baby clown clothes and ventral. Uh -huh. I liked his suit, but for some reason I undressed him. And on the underneath sure of him, like... Cock. Yeah. <laughs> Willie Cock? Is that what you just said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> Willie Cock. Um, Will he put out? No. Yeah. So, but, but, well, this was actually right over his pelvis. It had a little boy's address. It said, oh, and first it said Holly Woodhead. Like that was the name on, in ballpoint right. pen that the kid had named him because he didn't want to call him Willie Talk. And then underneath it, it said, if found, please return to him. The kid put his address and there was no zip code. So I immediately Googled um, when, when did um, zip codes start, you know? And yeah, it was right. 1963, so I know this was before 1963. But anyway, then I put his clothes. Yeah, so then I put his clothes back on the dummy, the dummy's clothes, and um, he was just sitting on top of the couch. And then my boyfriend and I went and had dinner, and then I forgot what else happened except somehow we wound up getting quote quote amorous on the couch. And all of a sudden, I heard this huge like clattering, like like that, and. I, I was kind of, I was very in the moment, but I kind of just barely turned my head and and Willie Talk's mouth was right there clattering up and down and his jaw had come out of the mouth hole and it was and it was, <laughs> it would be weird. so did, did is this a supernatural event or just <laughs> it would be weird if if you realize that his his jaw unhinged and that he that even though he was a ventriloquist, I mean, he ate like a boa constrictor. Like every month, his jaw would unhinge. He'd eat a baby goat, then he'd be good for a month. <laughs> that's probably what happened. That's probably that's probably where I got my power from. <laughs> that is astounding. That is astounding. I know it was. I I. I kind of thought at the moment, maybe I'm the only person this has ever happened to. I'm not sure, but it, it's either me or Paul Winchell. Yeah. Well, you know, did we have we talked about Paul Winchell? No, but let's please talk about him. Because <laughs> Do you have his book, Winch? No. It's, it's in my garage. I should run out and get it. His book, Winch, is, you know, self, is maybe the greatest show business autobiography I, Ever. I'm I'm devastated that I didn't even know okay. about it. Now I feel shame. I think okay. that Hollywood had ate, ate part of my brain. That here's the deal. Here's the deal. I tell you this now. I I have to go out when we're done. I have to go out and run a couple of errands. I'm okay. going. I'm going to hand deliver you Winch to read. And okay, then, because I'm going to give you Puppet Terror, my okay, magazine. That's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll swap. And then, <laughs> and then we'll reconvene about Winch in a, in a couple of weeks, and that'll be my next podcast. One of the things that he did, one of the things that Winch did, of the, of the many things that he did. The heart? He, he built... Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, he's a self-taught self surgeon. There's all that. Wait, why didn't him and Hedy Lamar get married? They, that would have been great. Yeah. Well, I, because I don't know how much of Winch's is in Winch's. Winch was like Kanye, but a little unhinged. Um, <laughs> you mean, how, can, how is that possible? One of the things that, in, that Winch had in his house is Winch built a ventriloquist dummy in himself that he put in a room in his house that was dedicated specifically so while he was out doing stuff, the ventriloquist dummy version of him could fight with the ghost of his mother. Wow. Boom. Well, okay. Well, I, I had no idea we were going to start talking about supernatural dummies on this, but... <laughs> 
I've gotten I've gotten to the hard candy center. Now you totally have. My my friend um your, Jeff, your mind, I, I can't wait for your mind is going to melt when you read this book. Oh my god. Okay, yes, I will read it and then we'll have to go in your your podcast to like yeah. discuss to, to download winch. But I I knew uh, um I also knew a ventriloquist dummy that didn't belong to me, but that dummy's name was Crack Pipe. <laughs> but please let it be like P-Y-P-E, like some sort of <laughs> old world, the old English spelling of Crack Pipe. Oh, yeah. like, oh my God. So, um, that the Wicker Man, speaking of old English and British Isles craziness, that the Wicker Man, that 70s pagan sure, movie. Sure, of course, yeah. with Christopher Lee, basically yeah. playing Hugh Hefner. Yes, exactly. Or Jeffrey yeah. Epstein. Yes, yes, Jeffrey, yes. Ep Jeffrey Dahmer Epstein in this yes. movie. <laughs> like a creepy Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. They have the same hair now that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But um, I just watched it last night, and there's there's a lot of like sick masks and puppet adjacent shit going on in that movie. Yeah, the masks, the the mask stuff in the Wicker Man is is great, and um, that was remade terribly with uh, Nicolas Cage. See the original one. No, yeah, no, I saw the original one. Yeah, that's the one you got to see. Yeah, it's yeah. Great. What, no, what that was it? that's the one that's on it. It just went on Netflix. There's this weird thing. I don't know when it ended, but I, even with myself, like I have a photo of myself as a kid. There, there, there was a time in this country when everyone wore turtlenecks. I remember that. That was called the 70s. <laughs> yeah. But like, what the fuck? The, wh <laughs> why? <laughs> so many I don't know. I mean, because I think because like every, old were tonight, every old Tonight Show, somebody's in a turtleneck with a neck with a necklace outside the turtleneck. It had to be an onk. Yeah, they're not comfortable, but everyone. No, wore they're it. not. I hate them. And I, I have a photo of myself standing in front of my childhood house. I'm probably seven, sporting a Kelly Green Telly Green T-neck. And then in the '90s, we had the mock turtleneck, which is to the 90s what the Nehru suit is to the 60s. Yeah, that's exactly. Mock turtlenecks, turtlenecks. I used to think that I hated wearing them because I'd been um, hung in a previous life. <laughs> yeah. No, Could for be. real. I mean, seriously. No one's, no one's arguing you. No one's arguing with you. Now, the podcast is called Devil Music. Is this specific? Do you get into music every episode, or is it more just that's how you describe your outlook on, on life and your predilections? No, we're, um, well, we, yes, we talk about music, so we can talk about music. It's, it's just anything music and the occult, and also now, you know, for the past few, well, since it started, it's just talking about weird shit. <laughs> yeah, well, it is, this is a, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier today, and I was saying, if there was any year that I would have liked to have relived, it would have been 1968. Although I lived in 1968, I was only four. Um, but uh, because there was just so much going on in that year. And my, you know, my friend used to go, look, if the world didn't end in 1968, it's not going to end now. Um, but this is 19, 2020 is 1968 again. It, it, is, it is as tumultuous a year as 1968 was. And I don't think in retrospect, I want to go back and relive it. But uh, we are in this time where just like everything as you know, the, the, the tablecloth has been yanked out and the dishes went on the floor. And, uh, and we're just and trying shattered. to ride the wave. Yeah, and we're just trying to ride the wave until it settles down. I feel, I mean, I think this, I was trying to think of this, um, of 2020, like, you know, in relations to um, 1968 and 69, when I was, I was like getting, I was busy getting thrown out of fourth grade for wearing a strike armband. I'm not kidding. I got, I got sent home for wearing a strike armband on one arm and a war moratorium on the other arm, but 
but also I can't tell how bad shit this year is compared to then because I was a little kid. Yeah, right. You were 10, 9, 10 years old. Yeah, I was like, I was like nine. So um, the Merry Pranksters came to, I, I grew up on a college campus and the Merry Pranksters came in a giant bus because the Grateful Dead was playing on the football field. This was at right. Wesleyan University. And that was my first concert. And there was someone on top of the, on the roof of the further bus of the Merry Pranksters. For anybody that's not, that's not aware of what this is, that's listening, the Merry Pranksters, um, was pretty much what Ken Kesey's The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test was yeah. about. And, and um, they they were this band of lunatic, wonderful, revolutionary hippies that um, were very close to the Grateful Dead. And the acid tests that they did were actual real tests of Owsley's acid, which the recipes have now, some of them have appeared online and some of them, as as urban legend has it, were his reject recipes. Like, I think that's what, bath salts was someone tried to make one of Owsley's oh, rejects. I, interesting interesting did you hear that because that seems know, completely that, that, credible that makes sense yeah it makes sense it tries, yeah. Like they say. yeah yeah, yeah. They, were, they were they were uh they were professional artists you know they were just um they they really believed in that ideal of uh that sort of aquarian uh, aquarian ideal the 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 merry pranksters and the dead when i lived in san francisco it was people and the dead would come to town i lived in san francisco in the late 80s and then when the dead would come to town it was people doing an impression of the merry pranksters <laughs> right the parking yeah. the whole parking lot was in the um, because in the 70s um me and a bunch of other people in the la punk scene would always we'd we'd look at we'd look at the it's the magic text twinkle Disney noise. Um, <laughs> but um, so we would, we would watch the papers and see if the Grateful Dead were coming to LA just so we could go, you know, to the parking lot and buy acid because the deadheads always had the best acid. <laughs> <laughs> We'd show up there in like black leather jackets and just our normal punk, you know, punk attire. Nobody batted an eyelash, but, they, you know, they would it's just- It's so be funny degree. because- the the whole punk sort of ethos, to use a fifty cent word, uh, was such a rejection of hippie culture. But the drugs made it through. <laughs> yeah, the drugs made it through. I mean, it was punk. Punk was also, you know, it was a rejection of rock and roll culture at that time. But it was the yeah, two it was, parking- it was more a rejection of uh, the ELO. It was corporate millionaire. It was like a, a limousine. Uh, millionaire rock stars that were yeah. Well, I mean, even even ELO in retrospect was better than like Captain and Tennille. Although I find like like this is over. This conversation is over. (laughs) (laughs) No, come on, Muskrat Love. How the fuck do you get like a hit with like Alvin and the Chipmunks making like nature nature documentary noises, and it's supposed to be normal. That is uh, that that, okay? That is one of those things. I'm going to put that in my shoebox with Hogan's Heroes, like. How what? Does this God, happen? I have a Hogan's Heroes story for you. Oh, fuck. <laughs> like, how does that happen? What's the song about? Uh, it's a love song. What's it about? Uh, do you know what a muskrat is? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I'm, I'm, listening. Know my I'm listening. I'm <laughs> listening. Okay, so um, this was... This was like decades before I knew about um, Bob Crane's like quote quote alleged S and M activities. <laughs> but, oh yeah, he was a dirty bird. Yeah, well, I mean, like he was hot, you know. Sure. <laughs> Hogan, Hogan was Hogan was having like Joy Division off camera. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but so I, I, um, I Bob Crane's Ho- Bob Crane's Hogan was his hero. Yeah. Wait, maybe he called his dick Little Hogan. Yeah, or it's, it's more like, uh, yeah, like Colonel Hogan's crane was is always bobbing. Is another way to go. <laughs> okay, so I've never uh, I've never unpacked that. Well, now you did, and you're packing. <laughs> exactly. Those are the um. Okay, so I um 
I, I wound up going to boarding school when I was 14 because I was having sex with all my um, mom's theater students and I was really intelligent and they were starting to, uh, they were starting to have like, you know, like less privileged people. They wanted to give scholarships, you know what I mean? Right. So I got one. So I, um, my mom thought it'd be a good idea to get me off a of college campus, not realizing that I was going right into a rurally located campus that was a hotbed of people whose private helicopters were landing on the football field and their Gucci luggage for, that had been their grandmothers in the 1940s because they weren't ostentatious in that way, had older brothers and sisters who got the best drugs on earth. So that was, right. that was the hotbed. Um, I started seeing this guy. Actually, I stole him from my girlfriend, but, you know, hashtag story of my life. Um, <laughs> he was, he was, <laughs> his father was an ambassador. I'm not even going to say to what country, even though the statute of limitation is gone, but he was so cute. He had blonde. Oh, you froze. We just had a we just had a power blackout right in the middle of our episode and um Oh yeah, we were talking about Hogan's Heroes. Yeah. Okay, so the Hogan's Heroes. Okay, this is so Pavlovian. Um, I was seeing this um, really cute boy from boarding school, and we used to sneak into the theater in the boarding school. And this was—it was such an old school. It was like an old New England school. And um, of course, this was my idea because I noticed that for the the school play, there was a big brass bed on stage. And so then my thought was, if you could pull the curtain, then you're not going to get caught in your dorm room because no one ever uses the theater in the daytime. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and, the, and the theater was just unlocked. So we met in there and we used to make out in there. And that was getting to be such a regular thing that when the, when the play like changed over to a new play, there was no longer a bed on stage. So we crawled up into near where the lighting booth was and we were making out all over the floor there, you know, instead of the seats because it was easier to stretch out on the floor than in the theater seats. And then one day we heard the theme to Hogan's Heroes playing and it got <laughs> louder and louder. And um, then we heard a door open. And so we like rolled against the wall and we're acting like people in a horror movie because who the hell was opening up a door? And it, it turned out to be the chaplain of the, of the school. And he... He walked out and it was time to go to dinner anyway. Like the dinner bell had rang for like the big cafeteria that everybody went to. And so we just stayed there and then separately went on our ways to dinner. Um, but then, then um, we found out that the chaplain actually lived in an apartment above the theater. So then we started, because this just added an extra layer of perversion. We, st <laughs> we started just going up there on purpose to make out. And whenever we heard Hogan's Heroes theme song, we'd know that he was gonna get ready to leave to go to dinner in a few minutes. So we would sure. scurry out of there. So flash forward to like 30 years or more later, I can't even remember where I was. I was, I was like somewhere in a public, you know, like in a, in, somewhere in public with a bunch of people around me. And the theme to Hogan's Heroes came on and I was like, <gasps> Oh, I love this song. And everyone turned at me and they're like, what? And I was like, I love the song. And they're like, why? And I was like, I don't know why. And they're like, this isn't even a song. It's a television theme song. And there's better ones like the Munsters theme. And then all of a sudden it clicked in my head that it was like a Pavlovian response to teenage sex. It was like, it was like, it was yeah, like exactly. some CIA operative just turning on the trigger of like uh, all that like 13 and 14 year old lust, you know? Sure, exactly. Yeah. My it is one of those things where you don't know 
like when you see it now, it's on me TV now and, and you do go, what were we thinking? Yeah. How the you fuck know, did like, that get green lighted? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or like when you watch roller boogie, it's like, what, what were, what, what, what were we thinking? <laughs> but, but Hogan's Heroes specifically, because what's interesting about Hogan's Heroes is nowadays you, you'd be horrified. It's a, it's a comedy that takes place in a Nazi prison camp. People would go, yeah. you need to go to jail. However, the people that made Hogan's Heroes were much closer to World War II than we are. Totally. It's, you know, it's like a lot of the people, and maybe that's why they could do it, because they were, they were so close to it, they didn't care about it. You know, it's like, yeah, whatever. You, but I, I have remember make, even I have then in those days, people, people I knew, like kids that I knew, even, even before that, like when I was really little, they're like, their dads would have... Um, those German helmets with spikes yeah. on top of it, like on yeah, the mantelpiece. That they brought back. Yeah. So weird. And uh, yeah, there's, there's just a, uh, there's a, a proximity. Like I, I think they were, because they were so close to World War II, they were able to make fun of it. Whereas now we're farther away from it. We can appreciate the horror more. Oh, yeah. I mean, and what about like all the, this is, I find it interesting that you're saying this because there's a, a couple of punk rock connections to World War II in a really odd way that I think it must have come from their parents because all of those people were like kind of the same age as me or you or between us or because I don't even know how old you are. But um, I'm 55. Like when, what? I'm 55. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm 61. So we're in that same-ish. Yeah. Yes, that's true. The last, the last part, but like, um, like orchestral maneuvers in the dark did that song <laughs> Enola Gay about the atomic bomb. Right. And then um, what about even the name of joy division? Sure. You know? Sure. Yeah. To totally. And, yeah. And then that like, because, and and even in those days and still in London, there's like there's like whole Berlin whole parts of the East End that are yeah, there, uh, there's whole parts of European cities that are just still bombed out from World War II, which is like insane. Yeah. Well that's so funny that like when people go to Berlin and they expect to see this ancient city, it's like, no, this city was built in nineteen forty seven. Yeah, this everything here was built in nineteen fifty because it was leveled. Um, we built this city. Oh, I'm God, sorry. Please. <laughs> but yeah, it's all the all the architecture in Berlin now is this very functional mid-century. Just get a building up, put a box, make it a box. Same, same with Dresden. Like, yeah, yeah, there's like there's like some parts of and yeah, all that weird weird stuff. The the first yeah. time that it's I went to gone. Europe, it's I, all gone. The first time I went to Europe, um, I landed in um, in the airport and. I can't even remember what airport, but it went, I think it was um, whatever the, the main international airport is, but the train station was under, under the airport and I got on it and it was, a, it was a subway for a long time until it started coming out into the light and it blew a whistle because it was coming out at the end of the tunnel and it sounded just like the whistle on all those concentration camp movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, war, war movies from World War II. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, as soon as we came out in, into the tunnel and it was color because it was normal it was summertime in germany i was like wait wait because i think i thought it was going to be black and white, black and like, white. <laughs> seriously of course of course <laughs> so weird oh my god that's yeah that that is it that's really um and and that's true it's like you there's a distance to it i was always fascinated by you know like like everybody makes like charles manson jokes and charles manson references yeah. Um, but then like you'd see people in like a Charles Manson t-shirt, but you do want to go, he, he wasn't cool. <laughs> it's like, it's like, he's not somebody you should look up to in any way. <laughs> but were you, I was like, <laughs> were you obsessed with Charles Manson? When of course, you were of course. Yeah. Yes, okay. Of course. No, I have every I book. I have every book. 
<laughs> I but I never thought. Kidding. But I never would. I wouldn't wear like. And, and I have bits about Charles Manson on every album I have. You know. Oh my god. I probably have an hour's worth of Charles Manson material. I find him fascinating in the way that I find Richard Nixon fascinating. Like you know these incredibly damaged people that are able to achieve a level of power. Jim Jones. Um, yeah, I've, I've, of Wait, course. Jim Jones came from Indiana, too. That's and right. so did John Dillinger. That well, Indiana well, was a uh, hotbed of... The Midwest is... Well, my girlfriend's from Omaha, Nebraska. Let me, don't get me started on the Midwest. Oh, no, that place is insane, too. Yeah, yeah. But, but, I, but, but in terms of, like... But, but I was always very specific about, like... He's not cool. Like I was at a, I was at like com, like a a horror convention, like Fangoria, FangoCon, or something like that. You know, yeah. And there's people selling monster movie memorabilia. And there's one guy, and it was sort of like, you remember uh, Mondo Video in Vermont? Of course. Yeah. Wait, the wait. Guy. The best, the best part about Mondo Video was they had, they had um, a section of videos and it was called pedophiles. And the, uh, and the, only, the, only, the, the only two uh, DVDs or, or, whatever, or VHSs that were in there was a Mr. Rogers one and then um, Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. But there was sort of like that sort of like Gigi Allen. Oh, know, yeah, yeah. Devotees. There was a guy that had a booth like that and he was selling Manson color, Manson crime scene photos. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't want this. Like, it's, no. I, I don't want the, it's like, there's nothing about this that's cool. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> It was like the Museum of Death. It was the, the Museum of Death people. It's was like, yeah, I, I don't need this. I'm fascinated by him. I don't think he's a, he's not a hero of mine. Um, yeah. You know, that was always, that was always what I, like, I understood, I always understood that like a Manson t-shirt was for shock value and, and that I got. And I would have certainly worn like a Manson t-shirt, like if he had like a, a beanie hat on or something on the shirt, like something goofy, <laughs> but but seriously thinking he was cool, I was always like, no, that's, you missed it. You missed the point. <laughs> you took the wrong exit. Yeah, there's just, I always just um, was into the whole, the whole crazy cult leader thing. Like, oh, I was it's, fascinating. it's fascinating. What I did not know, what I did not know is if you've ever seen the film Satan's Sadists. Which oh, is, I uh, saw that a long, long, long yeah, time ago. Russ Tamblin? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. They filmed part of that at the Span Ranch. Really? After the murders. Wow. Before the arrests. Shit. They were were still there. They didn't know who had done it yet. Oh, my God. That's crazy. And Manson was kind of hanging around the set, ogling the actresses. And the director, this guy, Al Adamson, said to the stuntman, like, like found a burly stuntman is like, will you get that guy out of here, please? And had to go walk up to this little shrimpy five foot four guy. Hey, can you get out of here? We're trying to work. And it was Charles Manson. Oh my said, God. He left no, he, they said like, he left no problem. He didn't give anybody any problem. <laughs> wow. I know it was crazy. It was, it was crazy. Crazy. Want to know the weirdest, um, the the weirdest tarot reading that I ever did started the night before the reading was booked with a complete stranger. Uh I was having a a regular text thread um, with my, with the girl that co-produces Bell Book and Candle, my burlesque show with me. And it was like 2.30 in the morning. And I said, um, okay, apropos of nothing, here's a picture of Bobby Beausoleil. Good night. And I had just sent her a hot picture of Bobby Beausoleil. And the next morning at like 9.30, I had a reading with this person that I'd never read before who found, found me on Twitter. And uh, I laid out her cards and I was telling her that she was in a, you know, some kind of a wild relationship with a, with a guy that um, seemed like his 
emotional development was stunted in late adolescence and they were very close, but it was really separated and all this stuff. And then um, she was telling me that uh, she was like, yep, that's right on, that's right on. And then she said um, that she was talking to um, someone in prison and it was like handling affairs for them. And then I just blurted out, was it Bobby Beausoleil? And she and and I heard her gasp and and she's like, How do you know this? And I was like, um, and I just I never do this with clients. I just took a screenshot of the of the um text thread and send it to her. Wow. But I clearly, know. like to me, that's like a time fold. Like yeah. Bobby Beausoleil was in there, but you thought about it, you know, it's like, it, you came in there, uh, it came in there the next morning, but then somehow it was the night before, and that's when it started, like, it was. It yeah, was that's what it, I, yeah, <clears throat> that was, that was just like, in, that was insanity. Yeah, that, insanity. that's crazy. I thought, so he's still in, uh, is he still around? Yes, he is. Yeah, those people don't, those I used to, well, the bit that I would do is that Charles Manson is still up for parole every two or three years. And I'm like, does he get his hopes up? <laughs> like, like, is he in jail the night before practice? Hi, Charles Manson. Nice to see you. How are you, Charles Manson? How are you? <laughs> nice to see you, Charles How are you? <laughs> Thinking about the job he's going to get when he's out. Charles Manson, Emerson Drywall. Come on in. Yeah, Charles Manson, essential worker. <laughs> <laughs> I used to run a murder cult, but I've taken that passion and put it into hot tub installation. <laughs> or working at Vons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's no that that's the I mean the true the true crime stuff is is utterly uh, utterly fascinating to anyone. Yeah. I mean, maybe not to a lot of people, but if 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 you're my kind of person, like apparently. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about not. Let's let's talk about not true. Let's talk about um. Let's talk about vampire stuff more. So um, you you had a very close relationship with her. I got a woman. She's six foot three. Yes, I did. How did it start? Um, well, I, you know, was always a, a plan. You know, I love, always loved that stuff. Plan 9 and the, the you know, the 50s, 60s LA and, you know, all that stuff. And um, I did a show on the Sci-Fi Channel in 1994 called The Big Scary Movie Show. And I was hosting horror movies, which is... Oh, I remember movie. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That was always the only job I felt I was qualified to do. Uh, and I wanted to interview her. I thought, like, you can't do a horror, you can't host a horror movie without, you have to touch the Parthenon, you know, you've got to honor the yeah. original. And um, my very good friend, Carol Hernandez, uh, was who is the wife of Gilbert Hernandez of uh, the Love and Rockets. The Love and Rockets. Right. She worked at Hollywood Book and Poster. And she was like, oh, I know Mila. Eric. Yes, Eric. God rest <laughs> his soul. So I wrote a letter. I, I wrote like a letter. I was like, hi, I'm Ferns Carol. Didn't you know, I'd love to interview you. Pay with blah, 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 blah. And it all came together. And so I interviewed her uh, for the show. And that's on YouTube. If actually, if you Google, if you go on YouTube, like Danny Gould Vampire, you can see that. Interview. Oh, yeah. We'll put, we'll put the link to that. On, I'm a little, this. I'm a little boy in it. It's 1995 and I'm a little boy. Um, <laughs> uh, and then she didn't have a phone. But I really, you know, it was like meeting, you know, anybody that you, you click with. And yeah. uh, even though she was, you know, o older than my mother, uh, we just really like kind of clicked. 
Um, and so I, 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 we became pen pals. And, uh, you know, I'd write her a letter and like you once a week. Letter, yeah. yeah, just because I, I lived on Beachwood. I lived like four blocks up from where you are now. And she was down at the time off Melrose, off Hudson. Yeah. And uh, so we would just write letters. And then I was like, uh, hey, let me, let's go to lunch. And then I would take her to, to lunch at Musso and Frank's. Uh, and over the years, um, the people that she had as a support system, because she never had any kids, got divorced in 54, um, kind of fell away. And I sort of became, for lack of a better term, her ambassador to reality. <laughs> and, uh, and ended up, you know, I, I got her moved into a, a, and then fortunately, then I started, you know, I got married and I started working at uh, The Simpsons and I had means uh, and I got her into a better place to live. I got her a phone in case she had an emergency and uh you know and then you know and we would just talk on the phone and i would uh you know we'd go out to lunch uh, to muso and franks and if she had a problem i would fix it um that was it you know it was just like we just it you know it was funny because she absolutely stopped becoming vampire to me and just became mila you know mila yeah yeah oh shit my i gotta call mila oh shit i have to call mila um but one of my one of my favorite memories was I took her to see the, uh, the Cinerama Dome back when it was just the dome yeah. before the arc light was showing plan nine on Halloween night at midnight or something. So I said, we should go. So I took her and we're just sitting in there. No one knows it's her. She's, nice. Yeah. And she comes on screen and the place goes bananas. And so to, to, to sit next to her, and, and she, you know, she like, you could feel her absorb it, you know, because knowing that that was all to her. That's amazing. Just, yeah. And just, to, and what she said was so funny. She, go, she went, oh, there she is. Ah. You know? Yeah, that's a... Yeah. It was great because the place, the place was packed and the place went nuts and I could feel her absorb it, you know, for wow, sure. Wow, that's, that's so, that's, that's really incredible. Yeah. And she was just, I mean, my favorite thing about her was she was just really funny. She was, she was really, hilarious. Yeah, I she didn't was know her as well as you, but I knew her for a pretty long time on and off because Tomato from the Screamers made me start going to this coffee shop in Hollywood. And um, Tomato Do Plenty? Yes. Yeah. yeah and she, that, talked, um, she talked about him a lot. Yeah. They, they yeah. were really good friends. They and Tomato yeah. like, oh, Vampira goes there all the time. Like, you should, you should go and see her. And I was going there sometimes anyway because it was in the neighborhood where I was living, you know? And, um, there was, I was sitting at the counter one day and there was this lady next to me and we started talking until it went on for ages. I would see her. And then finally one day I was just like, did this you lady know, not have upper teeth? What? No. No, you know what? Like there was a lot of women like that around Hollywood then that you could tell by their cheekbones and their eyes and stuff that they had been starlets like me and, and my friends would I say that that person was a starlet, no matter what, either they dressed like still like how they had in the 40s or the 50s yeah. and were on the bus, or you could just tell by their bone structure that they weren't just a normal person in Hollywood. They'd once been somehow like a contract player or famous in some way, like in a lower strata Hollywood level. So I knew that this lady was probably that kind of a person. And then finally I was like, you know, my name is Pleasant. Like we've been talking for ages and I don't know your name. And she said, oh, hi, I'm Lila, like that. And then all the, I went, hi. And then all of a sudden it clicked in my head and, and I was trying to act normal. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. what? I've been talking to Vampira for months and I have yeah. no idea what her. Yeah, she, but that was her. She was very, uh, she, I mean, she, I think one of the reasons that she became adopted by sort of the, as a punk icon was because she was a punk. She was just a punk in 1954. Yeah. You know, but she had the same sort of, it, she didn't suffer fools well. 
No. Um, but she was also, she was also so, she was so funny and, and like, seemed like just very kind and normal person great. too. But know? also, we used to have, uh, uh, um, my, uh, <laughs> I used to have a place in Ojai. Now my ex-wife has a place in Ojai. And um, we, that, that makes it sound worse than it is. But, uh, uh, actually, it's actually quite not, it's, it's quite good. Long story longer. So spent a lot of time up in Ojai. And there was a woman up there named Beatrice something. And she was like the doyen of the Ojai art community. She was a ceramic artist. And my, uh, apparently the house up there that I owned had her ceramics in the front walk or some weird thing that I had no knowledge of. And then I read a little bit about her because somebody pointed it out and she was a big part of the uh, beatnik scene in LA. So then I'm talking to Milo later and I go, uh, whatever this woman's name is, Susie Jones, it's not it, but I'm like, uh, hey, did, did you, when you were back in the day, did you ever know Susie Jones? And Smiley just went, ugh, a tiresome potter. <laughs> Beatrix Potter. <laughs> I know. Her, her whole account was like, tiresome. Just tiresome. So great. <laughs> Fucking great. Yeah, she was, a, she was a hoot. She was a good lady. She was, she was a good lady. great. Yeah. She gave me the story of the, <clears throat> the story of the fingernail is quite interesting. December of 2007, I'm driving to the airport with my wife and my two kids, and we're going to back east for the holidays. And or or and uh, and so I called her up literally on the way to the airport, like, "Hey, I'm going to the airport. Um, I'll be back after Christmas. Uh, we have your gifts. If you need me, if you need anything, until then." Uh, call call me here and I'll get get whatever you, you know like I had people set up like if you need yeah. help <clears throat> I'll take care of it even if I'm not in town so she's like great 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 and then hung up and uh, um, I said to my wife I said to my wife I said, like you know because by this time <clears throat> excuse me by this time she was getting on and I'm like what are we going to do when she needs to go to a place to live when she can't live alone anymore. And my wife said, well, we'll just find a place. I'm like, no, I'm not worried about the place. I'm worried about her. She's not going to go. <laughs> you know, she's going to handcuff herself. She did not want to, did not want that. And then uh, we got home and unfortunately she passed away before I got a chance to get over there. Uh, so that was the last time that I uh, spoke with her. Um, so I go down to, I, I'm on the lease. Uh, so they call me and I have to go down there and do all the, you know, identification stuff, which is not cool. Um, and there was, a, I knew her little bungalow, I knew every inch of it. And there was a little like jewelry box on the TV, which is that you've seen the little beige thing. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I opened it up and it was my Christmas gift. It was for Dana and it was her, uh, artificial nail that she had done a self portrait on. And that's, but that's how I got it. I literally was just standing in wow. after she had been taken out. And then I noticed this thing that I hadn't seen before. So that was also, it seemed somewhat spooky. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she doesn't haunt me. Wherever she is, she's very happy. Yeah. It seems like she would be. And I have to tell you that um, I was at Hollywood Cemetery the other day, and I just posted a picture of the lake. Yes, Yes. On Instagram, but every comment on there was, well, every other comment, and there was a lot of comments, was from people saying, Vampire is my favorite grave there. I have to say something about that grave. I'm glad people like it. I, I picked that out. Um, I thought it was really funny that she's right in front of Darren McGavin, who was the night stalker. Yeah. I like the fact that he's chasing a vampire throughout eternity. I really wish she had a bigger, better stone. Um, but by that time, uh, her family had stepped in uh, that she didn't have any relation with. Uh, uh, but uh, they showed up 
and I had to step back. And um, they, uh, uh, out of the goodness of their heart, uh, bought the cheapest possible stone. And that, that's what she has. Um, part of her would probably have done the same thing uh, because she didn't put a lot of uh, co- uh, weight on that kind of stuff. But uh, I wish she had something a little bit m- more significant. Yeah, that's she just, should have. A, she should have a statue like like Johnny yeah. Ramones. Well, I was talking to Tom Kuntz about who who designed that, who sculpted that thing that's in my uh, that I showed you. Yeah. Uh, about about doing something, um, but uh, uh, it just didn't come together in time. And and you know you have to respect. You have to respect the family legally, even if they didn't really have any relationship. No, I get that, yeah. yeah. But she definitely is living on and yeah, in everyone's and, consciousness, like with yeah, or yeah. without anything. Yeah, there's a really great documentary about her that a guy named Ray Green made called Vampira and Me, which is really great. And, and Johnny Coffin... Uh, has her merchandising rights and and has done a really really wonderful job of keeping her out in the public and and out in awareness. He has a book coming out. Oh, um, he does. That's good. Yeah, it's a, mostly photos and just like he has like a. I, I wrote a little epilogue for it and uh, and uh, it's just pictures and stuff that I didn't. You know, I thought I had everything. I had nothing. Um, uh, and that's kind of that's coming out. At, you know, COVID kind of slowed everything up, but. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot. There's a there's a group of people that really have worked very hard, and uh, they keep her out there, and that's uh, that's very satisfying. And it's very to see that uh, uh, whatever it was that she created really does have appeal, a lasting appeal. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, yeah, she. It's like the Mount Olympus of dark beauty. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and she kind of created that look. She sort of oh, completely combined, more, combined Morticia Adams and Marilyn Monroe and came up with that. Yeah, which is the best thing ever. Which is hardly how I describe myself to people. <laughs> I think of you that way too, Dana. <laughs> um, but you're holding a ventriloquist dummy on your on your on your lap. <laughs> As well, I should be. <laughs> okay, I think we. I think. Um, this is a good point to end it, but we need sure. to do this again on both of our podcasts. We will. Well, here's the deal. Are you home all day or are you going out? Yeah, you're bringing me ventriloquist dummy yeah, shit, I've right? Got stu- I've, got, I've got stuff to do here, but I'm going to text you. I'm going to be in your hood. I'll have a mask. We'll socially distance. But all right, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some puppet stuff for you and I'll put a mask on my ventriloquist dummy off. Okay. But I've got to give you, yeah, I have to give you, I have to give you a book to read. Okay. All right, so I'll see you shortly. (laughs) Bye. Until then. Bye. Well, that was Dana Gould. How fucking amazing is he? I was going to try to throw my voice to say this, but it didn't work out. (laughs) Anyhow, you can find Dana all over the internet and all of his socials are really easy because it's his name. His website is danagould.com. That's D-A-N-A. G-O-U-L-D dot com. His Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook are at Dana Gould. And his Patreon is patreon.com Dana Gould. So you can get him anywhere. You can throw money on him at Patreon and hopefully he'll like get up some funds for buying more ventriloquist dummies. And um, if you want to find me, you can find me at pleasantgaming.com. 
P-L-E-A-S-A-N-T, G-E-H, M as in man, A-N as in Nancy, dot com. You can get tarot readings from me there. You can buy my book, Showgirl Confidential, or you can just stalk me via email. See you next time on The Devil's Music. Mwah! The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.